Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Jump back into one of my favorite psalms. Um, I, I say that every week, I think, and because I just love so many of them. But we're going to be in Psalms 127. Uh, if you brought a paper Bible and you want to turn there with us, we're going to be in Psalm 127. But as we are, as you're turning there, uh, just a, a brief recap. You know, we've hit a number of Psalms over the past couple of weeks. Uh, you can go and catch them on podcast. I believe we even have podcasts of the ones from last year where we talked about the Lord is my shepherd in Psalm 23. We talked about Psalm 27 last year as well, where this is one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I may dwell in your house forever. And so we we looked at a number of different Psalms, as well as the one where David is notably dealing with his sin in, in a Psalm of repentance in Psalm 51, as well as one of thanksgiving of how we enter into his presence, uh, his gates and his courts with that thanksgiving and that praise. Uh, we looked at Psalm 100 as well last year, and you can you can listen to those. And this year we've we've hit some totally different ones, and and they've been, um, I think, unique to to what we're walking through now in this season of life. From Psalm 42, um, as well as 91, we looked at last week, which I just really really enjoyed. That was also one of my favorites, Psalm 91, as we looked at how the Lord is our refuge, how we can come and take refuge in Him, where we can make Him our dwelling place. Uh, and so, if you missed any of these, I would encourage you go back. Uh, listen to some of those, how we believe the Lord is speaking to us as a, as a little C church, as well as a big C church on how he is positioning us before him in this moment, in this snapshot in history. And so today, I think it's no different as we look at Psalm 127. Um, it is no different to hear the words of the psalmist written potentially even thousands of years ago um, to what is happening today. And I think that this psalm is, is one of those that's unique as um, Solomon is giving, given the authorship of this psalm. And I think um, it's, it's fitting to understand where, where it is happening and, and what is happening to understand the context of what he writes. But I'm going to ask you this as we get started. Have you, ever, have you ever worked on something? Maybe it was a project, maybe at home, maybe at work, maybe at school. And you worked on it and you were given some like parameters, but it was pretty loose or, or you had an idea of what you were wanting to accomplish and you began to work on it. And then when you finished it, maybe you were doing it for someone else or maybe it was a group project, but it wasn't exactly what they were expecting. Um, it wasn't exactly maybe even what they were wanting. Uh, I remember specifically this happening to me a number of times. Uh, when when I worked out in L.A. at the Dream Center, uh, my boss there, uh, Todd Leader, he was very type A. He had had a lot of secular job experiences, and he brought that to his ministry life now. And he had worked in and managed really hustle and bustle, amazing theaters. He had managed the El Capitan. And he had a lot of experience with handling VIPs and crowds. And so when it came to the Dream Center and we had uh, the, the reopening of Angelus Temple out there, it was a partnership with the Foursquare and the Assemblies of God, which was really beautiful. But there were a lot of VIPs. I remember Joyce Myers coming through. I remember Hillsong and, and their pastors coming through. I remember all, I remember Judge Ito, right? This is the 25th year of the, the Broncos coming back, right? And so it, I remember th that was the judge that said on OJ's trial. That's the only reason we know Judge Ito, in case you don't know that. 
I remember all these people coming and the way that my boss wanted events run. And I was always on pins and needles as a young 20, 21 year old. Like, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, we gotta do it right. We gotta, we can't mess up. And, and, um, and there would be these folks that we had to host and host them well. And, and so every time I came into the office, I felt like I had to bring my A game. And, and we, were, we were given some t- sometimes some parameters of, hey, I need you to go down. We don't really have a whole lot to do today. Go down to the fifth floor, start reorganizing our, our, our storage area. And, and it was just one of those menial tasks to keep you busy. And we knew it, me and the other staff members in the office. And so we'd go down there and we'd start, we'd throw away things we thought we needed to throw away. We'd organize and he'd come down and he'd look and it, was, it wasn't it was exactly what he wanted. It wasn't exactly what he expected, but we didn't have a whole lot of guidelines. And it always kept me on like edge a little bit. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that where you're, you're putting in a lot of effort and you're not even sure if you're doing what they want. You're not even sure... If it's because you've, you've got little to go on and you're not even sure if you're even meeting what their expectations are. And I, I try to be careful at Kiko as we have a team there um, on how I even lead, lead our team. I want each one of our team members to take ownership and, and to make it their own, but I don't want them to ever feel like they don't have parameters or guidelines or clarity. And that's such a tricky dance for me. I know some folks, some leaders that I look up to that I feel like do a really good job of that. And I'm always challenging myself to make sure that, man, I I want them to own it. I want them to feel that success, but I don't want them to feel like they're in the dark at the same time. You know what I mean? And I'll not forget the first time that I felt like I got my first victory of something I was uncomfortable in. My dad typically is the fundraiser uh, for us and, and, and really helps keep the ministry running. And, uh, but for the first time, we were up in Blunt County. I was with one of our board members and we were hosting an event up there at a funeral home of all places. And we were hosting in their meeting space. And uh, the, I think there was the district attorney from Blunt County was there. There were other business owners. And I had never really spearheaded a fundraiser yet. This was my first and I was like, oh man, I hope this is successful. I hope we can at least like pay for the space and cover the food, you know, like hope, I hope we're able to relaunch some new sites here in Blunt County as a result of this. And we walked away that day and it was beyond my expectations. I was blown away by just being faithful and showing up and doing what I knew to do, how God would just come through. And it encouraged me. Have you ever been on that side of the coin as well, where you put forth what effort you had and what you knew to do, not sure how it would work out, but then it blew you away at the results. It was beyond what you could have expected. And so for me, it put wind in my cells. It didn't demoralize me like other experiences I had had. It put wind in my cells and it kept me going. And and in, in that moment, I knew that the Lord was in the midst of, of what we were doing. And it confirmed to me that, that he was with us. And those that are watching online, there's other people with us too, including my, my youngest Jojo, who just shook the whole camera. You're good. You're still with us. I'm still here uh, and it's not moving anymore. But today, as we look at Psalm 127, I said all that because it sets us up for what Solomon writes here. It's this tension of what I see when Jesus talks to us, where he says, I only do the work of my father and what I see him doing in heaven. Here is what I'm coming here to earth to also do. And and it's also the tension of that in tandem with, but the Lord is with you and he will never leave you 
nor forsake you. And there's this, there's these moments sometimes where I think we pause and we wait for God's guidance where he says, I'm with you and I will bless you and whatever you put your hands to will be blessed. And there's that dynamic, but God, are, are you in the middle of what I'm doing? And, I, and how do I know it'll be blessed because is it your will? And, and so let's read what Solomon says here in Psalm 127. It says this, starting in verse one. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord is watching over the city, those who watch over it, guess what? They watch in vain. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Verse two, in vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. And he goes on and he says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And he wraps up in verse five, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. This morning, our quiver is definitely full. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And so I want us to go back and, and you can leave it on verse one for just a minute. Because this Psalm, I think it gives us some great context to understand that Solomon was the original, he was the, the architect of the temple, right? David had this dream in his heart. It was his desire to build the dwelling place for God. But because of David's sin and his bloodshed, um, I believe that has mostly to do with Uriah, um, his Bathsheba's husband, what had happened there that transpired, that David was not permitted to build the house that he had in his heart to build for the Lord. But Solomon was granted that. And Solomon here, I believe, wrote this in light of unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And unless the Lord is watching over the city. Those who watch, watch in vain. And, and others think that there's other scholars that really disagree that think this is a post-exilic. This is after the Israelites have already had the temple built once and they've gone off into exile and they're coming back. And um, I, I don't tend to agree with that. I, I believe that this is the former. This is something that Solomon truly wrote. And you'll see a structure here that will kind of help us understand just the flow of this Psalm. Christian, it may be after all those verses, it'll have two lines that talk about the futility of our efforts, if not done in the Lord, but the blessing that comes when we're walking in tandem with his will and his desire. And he talks about how God's blessing is also on the family. And these aren't disconnected for me. And I want us to kind of explore that today. But in Jewish tradition, there was the practice of reciting this psalm as of a part of a Thanksgiving service, even after a birth of a child. So almost like a, a baby dedication. The Jewish people would have a, a child that they'd be dedicating to the Lord. And this was the part that they would read. They would read this entire psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, those who watch, watch in vain. And goes on to talk about how the children are a heritage from the Lord. How they are his arrows and having a full quiver is part of the blessing that he gives us. And so these first two verses that we'll look at today are conditional clauses and a recognition of the vanity of our human efforts, unless the Lord builds the house. And this is what I want to talk about today is, is what we are engaging in, is what we are pouring our heart, our soul, our time, our attention into 
Is God in the midst of that? Or have we dedicated ourselves to something that he's not even concerned with, that he's not even in the midst of? You know, I think about the vision for the church even, for this church. And you can put up, I think I've got a couple little vision slides back there that'll help help you kind of understand what my heart is that I believe I see in scripture. It's three words that I boil it down to. That's why I'm wearing the shirt, right? Encounter, connect, grow. Unless the Lord builds this house, my labor would even be in vain. And the last thing I wanna do is for any of us to dedicate ourselves to something that he's not in the midst of. And so for me, it boils down to an encounter with him. And that is where I think Solomon really begins this Psalm. That unless the Lord is in the midst of what we are doing, unless we are having an encounter with him, unless it is propelled from the feet of Jesus, what we're engaging in may literally be useless. And so it comes down to an encounter for me, an encounter with God that it is from that benchmark that everything we say and do has its meaning. You know, and a lot of times I look to other churches and I see what they're doing and I wonder what kind of vision even that pastor is casting. And a lot of times we look for leaders that are charismatic, that have a vision that can rally people. But for me, it comes back to is what is God doing in our midst? Are we before him? Are we hearing from him? And are we are, are our marching orders coming from him? Not just from the person standing up here, but is he hearing from God? And is he allowing the people here to facilitate a, an atmosphere that the Lord is also speaking to you? And this is a church to support what God has put in your heart to do both in your life and in the city and around the world. And that's why the cloud by fire and the, the cloud and the fire are, are what I believe in the Old Testament of what symbolizes unless the Lord moves and unless the Lord is in it, we're not moving. We're staying here. We're going to move as he moves. We're going to ebb as he ebbs and flow as he flows, but to move with him, not ahead of him, not behind him, but to move with him. And I think you'll see throughout as we talked this morning that this was the ministry of Jesus. This was the ministry of Moses. This was the ministry of what we see so many espousing to in the scripture. And I think right now, even so many folks that I'm connected to in Knoxville that um, have really latched onto what I call almost like a social justice gospel. And there are, there are pendulums in every line of thought. You know that, right? That there's, there's too far one way, there's too far the other way. And somewhere the truth's kind of in the middle of a synthesis of most of it. And I see this even with the current climate of what ha- is happening around us. So many that are grabbing onto a cause they believe is worth dying for. And some of these causes are ridiculous right now. You see it, you hear it. And they're not worth, you know, losing friends over or, uh, you know, hanging your hat and stay, driving your stake into the ground. They're really not that noble of a cause, but we've convinced ourselves that they are. And don't get me wrong that I think that there are, so, there are some causes right now that are in our nation that need to be addressed and are catching some real wind. And we can even tell ourselves that it's about serving others and righting wrongs and, and even bringing equity and justice and concerns between health and politics right now. And, but they couldn't be more divided. But 
in the midst of it all, I have to ask, where is God? What is he saying? There's no doubt in my mind that his heart is broken. That his heart is broken for people that are disenfranchised, as well as people that think that people aren't disenfranchised. His heart is broken in so many ways right now as he looks at our nation. And so what really matters to me is, God, what is, what is it that's breaking your heart? What is it, Lord? Because unless my efforts are in tandem or in compliance or in sync with what yours are, then my labor is in vain. Then what I'm doing doesn't really matter. No matter how many times I put that word on it, right? Because everybody is using that. Everything matters. Masks matter. Babies' lives matter. Black lives matter. And while it may all matter, where is God in the midst of it? Because even doing the right thing with the wrong motives can remove the Lord from what is being built. Even doing the right thing with the wrong motives for the wrong reason, with the wrong spirit attitude, can take a noble gesture into something that God has nothing to do with. And, and what I believe the Lord is wanting us to do is, is wanting us to come together, is wanting us to connect is wanting us to see that his prayers will be answered, that we would be unified. But it has to start with that encounter with him that unless the Lord builds the house, our labor is in vain. Unless the city we are watching over, he too is watching over the same things we are watching in vain. And instead of being able to connect on these things, we have divided over these things. And to me, that is not the Lord. That is not God's doing. I don't believe the Spirit would want us to be in opposition with others who call themselves brothers and sisters in Christ right now. I don't believe the Lord would want us out there driving our stake in ground on things that we think matter when really we need to be attuned to what the Lord is saying really is on His heart and matters. And so when I think about how we connect, I think about who God is, the triune and holy connected in unity, but yet three distinct persons. And he's wanting us to connect and empower us through the Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill, as we talked about in our neighboring series, the great commandment as well as the great commission. But we can't even see God's divine creation in front of us, I'm afraid, because we've boiled down that recognition of worth to a political or ideological alignment. But what about what the Lord is doing. I was talking to some fo uh, folks as I was on a visitation, I guess it was last week. I was in South Knoxville and talking to some of my club directors. And I was talking to Miss Hannah over there who runs the Vestal Club. And I said, I said, Miss Hannah, you know what I'm really afraid of? I'm afraid of what our nation will look like as my kids get older. I'm afraid of what who will they think is okay to, to have relationships with? Because right now what we're saying is I can't have a relationship or engage with you unless you think or talk or smell and look like I do. There's no room for differences. There's no room for a difference of opinion. There's no room for your view on mask or my view on it. There's no room. You either, you either agree with me or you're willing to die for it, right? Because I'm going to write you off. And that's a really scary place to be as a nation. I have to admit because that's not the kind of relationships I'm teaching my kids to have, that they can only have relationships with people that talk just like them, that think just like them. 
I'm not talking about being un, unequally yoked as the scripture would talk. I'm not talking about marrying into these people or that, that we have to agree on every single thing, but that we could agree on the essentials, that we could agree as believers on who God is, on who Jesus is, on who the Holy Spirit is, on who we are as his children. But what I fear is that we're showing the next generation that unless they agree on everything, then don't, they're not even worth having a relationship with. And that is a very scary place to be. I don't want my kids to think that. I don't want the, the ones that we're working with at Kiko. That's not what we're training. You know what we teach in our semesters? Almost every, every semester, it'll fit into one of our lessons. Terry can confirm it. That, hey, you know what? People are going to look different at you. They're, they're going to be better at things that you're not good at. And they're going to be worse at things that you're good at. And, and guess what? That's the way he's made us. And somehow the adults have lost their minds right now. We have lost our minds that we're like, nope, nope. Mm -mm. They, they don't think the same way. They don't look the same way. They're not good at the same things. They, heaven forbid they have a, a different viewpoint and some of it be right. And maybe some of mine be wrong because we can't hear people that are different right now. And that is a scary, scary place because we can't connect. And if the enemy will keep us divided, he can pick us off. Unless the Lord is watching over the things that you think you're posting and watching about, then you're, you're posting in vain. Your watching is in vain. Unless it is what the Lord's heart is breaking over right now, there are so many things that, that we could continue to repeat that we're hearing, that we could just get into the rigmarole of saying and sharing but what is it that is on God's heart? What if we decided as a small collective and what if other churches right now in our city and across this nation said, you know what? Instead of just buying into the rhetoric of everything that we're hearing, regardless of what may be true or not, what if we bought into the rhetoric of heaven? What if we started sharing the things that we heard from heaven that was on God's heart? What a tide that would begin to shift. What a, an example that we could finally be for the globe, not the example that we're currently being. Because believe me, the world is watching and they think it's ridiculous. My friend from Sweden, she was sharing a little bit. Um, I worked with uh, people from around the world um, when, we were in, when I was in L.A., kept in touch with a lot of those folks. And uh, Anna, who was from Stockholm, uh, as well as Claire, who came to our wedding, she now, she kind of hops between New Zealand and Australia. Mom lives in one of them and dad's in the other. And just listening to their view of what's happening right now. And they're like, America, what's going on over there? At the beginning, it will never come in our country. We got rid of it. You know, that was late February, right? And now it's like, it's a political scandal. Uh, it's not real. It's, it is real. Masks don't work. Masks do work. I can't believe you're not wearing one. You know, all the things they're like, everybody we've hopped all around, right? Cause we've just recited the rhetoric. We've recited, we've, we've, we've given our focus and attention to things right now that are current events that guess what? In six months from now, I'll still be doing the same thing I'm doing right now, which is reaching our city for the kingdom of God. Because to me, that's going to always matter. That's not going anywhere. And if I get caught up in the tidal waves, I'll get lost. I will get lost in it and I'll start getting emotional about it and I'll start responding as I did and I have. But the Lord is saying, would, would you take some time instead of posting what you think is propaganda, actually praying? And I'm challenged by that notion myself that instead of saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe and more of this and more of that, and it's on both sides, folks. It's on the left and the right, and it's right down the middle. It's everywhere, right? It's, it's, it's on every side. 
No one's, no one is, is oblivious to infiltrating any of our ideologies right now, myself included, right? But I think the Lord is really challenging us to say, instead of sharing so much more of that, imagine if we actually prayed and we had that encounter with the Lord first and we knew what his heart was. Half of what we share, we probably wouldn't share. Just be honest, because it really wouldn't be that important. We would have a different perspective on it. We would have a heart for someone that really we want to bash in the flesh. We would have compassion and, and look at things differently, asking God for mercy to save our nation from the division we're experiencing right now. Because of regardless what is political, it is all spiritual. And there are giants that need to be torn down and our nation will come to its knees one way or the other. And it'll be upon either God's mercy or his judgment. But I'm asking, would you join me to say, God, what are you doing right now? What are you building? Where are you watching? What does your heart already break for? And let's join that. Let's begin to add our voice to his regardless if it's popular, regardless if it's on either side of what's being said, what if it has something to do with something completely different like the kingdom of God? What if we brought about the peace and shalom in a city because we were more concerned about that than we were anything else? And I believe that's what the Lord is saying to us today. But so many of us like Mary and Martha, I was reminded about this story this week in my studies. Luke 10, verse 38, if you'll throw that up there, he says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She called, a sister, she called her sister Mary and who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what, um, Je what Jesus had to say. In verse 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus. She's like, hey, Lord, don't, don't you actually even care that my sister is making me do all the work by myself. Would you tell her to help me? Oh, Martha, Martha, Jesus answers to her. You are worried and upset about many things, but only few things are needed or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Listen to what verse 40 says in light of what this Psalm says, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches, he says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha even went to Jesus. Like she wanted to play the trump card. She wanted, she wanted spiritual backing for what she was trying to get her sister to do too, right? Have you, ever, have you ever seen anyone spiritually manipulate a situation? Man, I was talking to someone last week who works for another, or used to work for another organization and they felt like even their raises were spiritually manipulated. They're like, yeah, we're, you're not really going to be able to see that raise until we really sense the Lord doing more in your life and work here. And we're like, I was like, are you kidding me? That was really sad. This wasn't a church. This was a, another nonprofit. And I was like, oh my goodness, spiritual manipulation at its best. And here Mary, uh, Martha's playing that card. She's like, Jesus, come on now. <laughs> you know, Mary needs to be in there helping me. Would you? Would you tell her? Because I'm going to tell, I've told her three times. Martha's so distracted. And right now, as a nation, as people, as individuals, we are so distracted. We are so distracted from the one thing that matters. Unless we sit at the Lord's feet and hear from him and know his heartbeat, 
so much of what we're doing is based on a distraction, is based on smoke and mirrors, is based on what other people want us doing, is being caught up in the frenzy, caught up in the frenzies everywhere. It's not one side or the other, right? It's everywhere. And it's in the church too. It's caught us all. The frenzy, the distractions have caught us all. And I'm challenging myself as well as us today. Would you sit at his feet? Would you hear from his heart? Would you know what he is doing and building? And let's join that. Even if it doesn't make sense to the natural, are you sure? God, are, that wasn't even on my radar. It might not be. But unless the Lord builds the house, our distractions and labor will be done in vain. I don't care if we put Jesus wrapping paper on what we think and feel right now and call it Christian. We try to play that Jesus card, get him behind it. It still will be done in vain. We have fashioned so many idols around our opinions, our views and our stereotypes, and we've allowed, lied to ourselves about how godly they are. And they're worth defending, even if it means offending. And here's what I'm afraid of is that I've seen, I've seen it myself and I've had to repent of this and, and, and repent to others. I've built a wall that I called truth. When the Lord never called us to build walls, he called us to build bridges. We're ministers of reconciliation, not of offense. And we have bought into so much of what our culture has fed us, which is even the, what I call the cancel culture in the church. That unless I can't build a bridge to someone who think, are you kidding me? I can't tolerate. And we think that it, because it offends us, that it offends the Lord. When God's called, who did Jesus eat with? Who was washing his feet? The people that probably voted different than Jesus, you know, even though he didn't get to vote. People that viewed life differently and made different value choices differently than him. That's who he spent his time with. He built relationships. And what came out of those relationships? Transformation. Lives that were never the same. They did go and sin no more didn't need to be spoken when his actions said it so many times. And those were the ones that, that the religious couldn't handle. So you want to know my vision? It starts here at the feet of Jesus of just listening. God, what, what are you saying today? And before I get on Facebook, before I start listening to the news outlets, before I get on that podcast, oh Lord, before I start filling my mind with so many things, because I know what's going to happen today, can you just silence those for a minute? Can I hear your, your heart first? God, what are you saying? No wonder I'm so stressed out. No wonder I react so quickly. No wonder because I've, I've not been here first. Lord, would you help us to hear your heart? And that's where I believe he's bringing us to, is that we would start there first. That's the only thing that's needed, Jesus says, to Martha, to Mary, to you, to me. And I think about how Jesus built on this idea in, in verse one, Solomon calls it labor in vain, watching, you're staying awake in vain. And that word vain, the Hebrew word, you can throw it up, Christian. I've got, I think I've got a slide for it. The Hebrew word used here for vain is saw. And it literally means futile, worthless, empty, that which has no result, use, or purpose. 
And we, when we work out of our own volition, the only purpose our work serves is the one that we have given it. Because unless the Lord is doing the same work and building the same house and watching over the same areas we have prioritized, it says here it's useless, useless. And Jesus, he's sitting there at the, at the well in John chapter four, talking to a woman about her life. Someone that we would say we shouldn't associate with. And his, his crony said the same thing. His disciples that you would think knew him well enough would have recognized that it, Jesus wasn't going to do things according to their ways, according to their even religious upbringing. And he's sitting there with this woman. She's on her fifth husband. And Jesus says to her, he says, well, he starts talking about what's going on in her life. And the disciples come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, are you hungry? Like, man, you, you stayed out here the whole time. Are you hungry? And he says, no, I'm not because what sustains me is something totally different than what sustains you. What keeps me going, what propels me and gives me purpose, you would consider useless and I vice versa. And they're like, man, did Jesus already get something to eat? Did he have some talk? Did somebody run? Like, did he have like well-dashed Chick-fil-A out here? What happened? And so Jesus is there and he starts telling, starts telling them it wasn't a door candy. That's why it was well-dashed. It was not door dash. That was my attempt at some humor. And so Jesus is out there and they don't understand what he's trying to communicate to them. And he says, listen, what sustains me is the work of my father, what I see him doing in heaven. And he's going to repeat this in the next three chapters. That's how important this whole idea was to him. Unless the Lord is in it, what we're doing is vanity, vanity, useless, useless. And Jesus says in chapter four of John, he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, to complete what God has already started he says, don't, don't you have a saying? He reminds them of their own sayings. It's still four months until harvest. He says, I tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change your, your, your way of looking at things. Open your eyes and look at the fields. They're already ripe for harvest. And Jesus would go in in the next chapter. He's actually defending himself before a teacher of the law. They're trying to trap him in something that he would say, as they often did, right? For a when and where and how he's doing things. He's doing things on the Sabbath, right? He's doing things that are very unconventional, according to the religious. And so Jesus' response in front of his disciples and this crowd in verse 19 of John chapter five is, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you may be amazed." For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So Jesus reiterates again. He says, hey, I can't do anything of my own accord. There's someone that I listen to. There's, some, there's someone that I am simply a shadow imitating. There is a kingdom that is not of this world that I am seeking to bring. And that's, that's what I'm looking to. That's what I am embodying. That is what he's calling us to exemplify as well. And he says it again in a different way in John chapter six. He says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. So throughout scripture, we see this same idea. 
that unless the Lord is building the house, unless it is in line and sync with what God is already doing, Moses would say it this way. He's arguing with God about destroying the people and, and God's like, fine, I'll be, I'll go with you. And he's like, unless you go with us, like, then don't even send me. I don't, I don't want to be a part of something that you're not in the midst of. Exodus 33 talks about that. And he says, if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may continue to find favor with you. And in verse 14, the Lord replies of Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't even bother sending us. That's the cloud, that's the fire. And so time and time again, we see this exemplified in scripture that unless we're in tune and aligned with what the Lord is already doing, our work and our efforts are useless. They have no purpose. They're not fulfilling anything that God has already started because we're coming into agreement here and bringing about his works through our hands, through our words, through our lives. We have an opportunity to do something that no one else could as his children. That is to bring heaven to earth. And right now we have a window in history where the church can rewrite the narrative that our culture, that the political parties are trying to make aligned with their agenda. But what if we wrote it according to the agenda of heaven instead of the agenda of man? What if we said, thy kingdom come, Lord, I wanna hear, I wanna know what is beating in your heart, what is upon your mind now, Lord, that I would have the mind of Christ. And so I want to move forward because that was a lot of verse one, but it's the foundation of the rest of this. Verse two, this reminds me of some of Solomon's other writings in Ecclesiastes. He talks about the futility of human toil. He says, it is vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I talked to some of my friends here in town, um, some of them that I just really admire their leadership abilities. And early on in the pandemic, we were all just kind of talking about the rest that had this time had given all of us. You know, that lasted like just a couple of weeks. Now it's about it. And then you're back to it, right? And, and we were talking about how some of the things that we have admired as a culture and even as someone who's very driven, very type A, I very much like to lay my head down at night and feel like I've been, uh, I've had an efficient day, a productive day. A lot of that bleeds into just how I've, my identity is built into that. That's, there's unhealthy aspects of that as well as healthy ones. But with my, my other, some of my peers that I just looked to, we're like, heaven forbid, we go back to some old ways that we have really admired as a nation, that the Lord is really allowing a reset to be hit on right now. And it's some of these things that, that we've admired that Solomon points out, this is nothing new under the sun. We really admire those that get up early and, and work hard all day and stay up late. Wow, what great work ethics. And, and, and not all of it's all, all for themselves. They even are, are working for others. And we've admired that in so many ways. And Solomon here is saying, it's anxious toil because don't you recognize that he even gives his beloved rest? Part of the journey that sometimes we don't embrace is that rest can be just as spiritual as our work. 
and not getting in sync and in rhythm, we then begin to add to the work of the Lord and he's no longer in it. We've added to where he was building on a house and we, we decided, no, nah, I think you want to add this to it and, and maybe do this little modification. And, and we do that in how we, we speak to one another and what we think is important in our culture and our society and what is, we even, you know, stamp the Christian label on it, right? And, but unless the Lord's in it and we're not doing it out of a place of rest, it's that anxious toil, it's the churning of what we have to change. But coming in sync with what he is doing changes the rhythm and the nature of it all. And so the writer continues to go into verse three, which seems like doesn't fit, but let's look and see why it's here. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the room, a reward, not fruit of the loom. Those may be a reward too. Tax-free weekend, guys. He says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So why would he be talking about how those who, unless the Lord is building the house, they labor in vain. And what does that have to do with children being a heritage from the Lord? To me, I think Solomon understood that the first house that had to be built was his. I think he saw this growing up with his dad. I think he saw this with with King David. With unless his house is in check, watch watch what the ramifications can be. I was reading an article last week before church um, it was one of those magazines you keep, keep in the places where you like to read magazines. And I was reading this article. Uh, I don't know where y'all read them, but it was, it was in the kitchen. And so I was reading this article on, on how none of our sins are strictly individual. You know how there's a sin against someone else and we think, oh, but this is a private sin and it's not going to affect anyone else, but that doesn't exist. And the scripture proves it, the sin of Achan. The sin, I mean, you have so many times where even what appears to be a private sin, a hidden, a secret sin, maybe you've heard it called, it, in, it impacts the way that we relate to each other. It impacts, um, it impacts our ability to be honest and transparent in our relationship. Any sin separates us from God and creates issues with everyone in our life. And I think here, Solomon was looking and saw how the sin of his father had caused so many issues for even what the Lord wanted to do through David. I think the Lord wanted to fulfill the desires of David's heart. I think the Lord wanted to. I think the Lord was so pleased with how much David loved his presence and how much he would extravagantly worship and linger in his presence and how important the ark was to him. I think, I think God loved that. He was a man after his own heart, the scripture would say, in those areas. But there were some other areas where his house wasn't in check, where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and some subtlety, some maybe even some secret sins, but it affected his entire nation because of his house. And unless the Lord is building the house, which my wife and I have had a lot of conversations here lately, just when, we're in one of those seasons of rechecking where things are at in our house, talking about some relationships with the kids that aren't in here right now. How, how are things, how are things between Ellie and Judah and the older one? And have we, have we bought into the pandemic of letting screen be the babysitter? We need a break. Go have electronics, please. <laughs> We've gone back to playing cards at the table, you know, trying to change because unless the relation, unless this house at home is strong, this house right here will crumble. Any other thing that I build will crumble. Anything else that I'm a part of, even if the Lord wanted to be a part of it, 
because the first blessing from the Lord is the ones that come from my quiver. And those arrows, I'm not saying they got to be straight from your loins. It may be arrows that you're spiritually raising. It may be arrows that you inherited because no one else was raising those arrows. It may be arrows that you have stepped in to be the one to point purpose in those arrows because of how they are bent and shaped. Because every arrow is different, but they're all an inheritance from the Lord. And when we discern what the Lord is doing and keeping, God, we, we wanna hear first what you're doing here in this house. And I'm sitting around my table when I pray that because then I can also hear, Lord, what you're wanting to do in this house and at the house at Kiko and in our nation. But Solomon here puts these together because if we're gonna have a strong church, if we're gonna have a strong community, if we're gonna have a strong nation, if we're gonna see strong anything, it's gonna be because of strong families. It's always gonna be because we had strong families. So if we leap over that to go solve the problems of the world, we will look back and have a mess behind us. Our house will be on fire while we're putting out the ones in the world. You can forfeit your soul for a lot of things, but that's not one of them that I'm willing to. It doesn't have to be a either or, I believe Solomon tells us. He says, build what the Lord is building. Watch where he is watching. Stay attuned to what he's doing and watch how your children are that blessing like arrows. He says to have them in your youth. Some of us had them a little later. He says, but blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall never be put to shame. And I hope that at the end of our days, we can look back and what we are able to testify to is look at what the Lord has done. Wasn't always a great road. Wasn't always the easy road. Wasn't always a bed of roses. Wasn't always that. It wasn't always just perfect. But look at the legacy of what God has done because we prioritized his heart, because we sat at his feet, because we joined him in what he was building and watching. Look at what the legacy is spiritually and those that we influenced. I've thought a lot this week about a friend who tragically lost her dad, was murdered in his front yard by a family member. She worked with us at Kiko for 10 years. And I think about what her legacy is going to be because she has so freely given of herself. And when I say so freely given, she writes curriculum and she gives it away. She prints posters for us. She gives away props that they have spent thousands of dollars on at her church. She fits into her budget what she needs and then she gives it away. And I think about people who do that, who are so free. They, they don't like, they don't copyright the kingdom. You know what I mean? There's just people out there that are just so free to, hey, if, if it's God, then man, give it away. And her stuff has been used around the world. Her curriculum has been taught in, in uh, YWAM bases in England and in, Kyr- in Kyrgyzstan and Kiko and in inner city here and in Buffalo because she freely gives it away. And I think about how so much of our lives will have a, bigger picture impact when we give it away. When we don't try to just, it's not just, our house isn't just right here, right? Our house, our territory. Remember how we talked about neighboring, our parish, our house, our call. It it starts there, but it goes out from there. It starts here, but it doesn't stay there. 
what he has given us and what we're tuning our ears to is to fulfill that great command that we would love the Lord, that we would hear what's on his heart, and then we would love each other, starting with our family, but then our neighbors and the great commission can be fulfilled as we fulfill the great commandment, that we can disciple, that we can let people in our home and begin to allow our lives to be transformative because they don't have to think like we do to have relationship with us. But we can begin to have impact on them because we've heard from the Lord and we have his heart. And God is moving us forward in that. Blessed is the man whose quiver will be full of them. Blessed is the woman in this house who will look back and see the ripples for the ages because of how they responded to God's heart today. Bruce, would you come up for a minute? I remember a few things in thinking about this in scripture. I think of Paul when he's writing about his greatest defense for his apostolic calling and his work. And he even says it sarcastically, right? As he's writing the church in Corinth and he looks at, he looks at the fruit of his labor and he even compares, he's like the people that I've impacted and he even throws in there all the hardship that he's gone through. The difficulty, the trials, the times that you've invested in people that you weren't sure if they were worth continuing to invest in sometimes. Paul says, these are my credentials. This is where I hang my hat. This is it. It's through the hardship that we persevere. And on the other side, we see the fruit, right? The quiver that is full beyond expectation. This week, I was listening to something uh, that really encouraged me. It was the gentleman up in Metro New York, uh, ministry patterned after ours. And he said this, he says, I'm constantly telling my staff, he said, the greatest vengeance is perseverance. I started thinking about that. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I've had some, some prayers that were like this, Lord, vengeance is yours. I just need you to do it quickly because I'm getting tired of waiting. But he says, the greatest vengeance is he talks to his staff. He tells him it's perseverance. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't give up. Don't quit. He says, because if you, stand, if you sit by the river long enough, you'll be there to see your enemies float by. Just stick to it. Just keep getting up and doing the right next thing. Putting that one foot in front of the other. And at the beginning of this pandemic, we were sitting on our front porch and we were looking out and we were, we decided to rip one tree up and we we're trying to figure out one eye. Another one wasn't growing. And we just got a wild hair and started clipping some, some branches that were going to be hard to mow around. That was the main reason that I clipped them. And watch the one branch that I clipped cause that tree to almost double in the four or five months since I clipped it. And sometimes there's some things that the Lord's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not really building this. You actually need to cut that out. And you're going to see fruit in your life like you've never seen before when you start attuning yourself to what's his agenda, what's his heart, what are his desires. But it all starts from sitting at his feet, from hearing from him, hearing from heaven before Facebook or Fox or CNN or you name it, that we would hear from him first, that we would know what he's saying. and not cater to the haters. Stop living for the small, loud, marginalized who aren't supporting you anyways. But start living for the one, not becoming distracted, but start living for the one who really matters. 
the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord is watching over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just pray that the words from this psalm and and what I believe you wanted to say to us this morning, I pray that this Holy Spirit, you would just illuminate this. But would you bring us back to this place in this season that we don't move past from being at your feet, that we don't get distracted, that we don't get caught up in so many things, Lord, right now that have just been given some importance that really they're not first. And maybe only indeed one thing is necessary. God, could we open our ears again and hear what you are saying and what is on your heart and what it breaks for. And if you're in this place and you just need, you need some prayer specifically for something you're walking through, we want to join you because we believe the Lord is building your life right now. We believe that he's building your house and we need one another. We need to be connected in this, not divided to support one another. But if that is something you're walking through right now and you would just like, prayer for us to remember you this week. Would you just raise your hands? Anyone in this place? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Jesus. Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to not only be with us here, but as we leave, God, we ask for your presence to go with us in a powerful way. God, I pray for each and every one of us, those that have raised their hands, you know the situations, God, that they're walking through right now. Some very heavy. God, I just pray for your peace and your joy to settle in on us. The joy that is our strength, your strength that it allows us to go another day to trust you, that you're gonna make even this, God, work out for my good. Really? God, we're going to believe your promises. We thank you for the peace that we can rest in you because we're going to just sit here and not be distracted and we're going to submit these things that are heavy right now on our hearts to you, Lord. We're going to lay them at your feet and we're doing it together. We're coming together and agreeing that your will be done, that your kingdom come. Lord, I pray as we leave this place that we will sense your presence in a new way, that you would make us more aware even of your presence, God, of where you're at work, maybe some in areas we've never looked for it before. God, I pray that we would take these things back to our home, that you would help us to join you in what you're doing in our house, in our lives as individuals, in our families. God, help help us to see the health of our families ripple into the health of our church, into our community. God, that we would let this light shine. We thank you, Lord, that it comes from your love for us. It comes because of your goodness towards us. We thank you, God, that you bring a healing balm to our hearts, that you make us whole and you satisfy us that there is none like you. We pray over your people today that they would be blessed in their coming and in their going, that they would be the head and not the tail. They would walk in your favor, your grace and your goodness, that they would be chased down by your goodness and mercy. We thank you, God, for that. Keep us until we come together again. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen.